Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for these incredibly rich texts and these narratives of history that remind us of your faithfulness and how you use your people that you've called to play certain roles in the course of history to glorify you and to make an impact on the cultures that you place us in. So we pray, Lord Jesus, that through your spirit and through your word, you would teach us this morning and that we would be awakened to your presence and what you'd have for us today. And so we just commit ourselves again to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to begin uh, this morning by, with actually just a little bit of a confession and also a story that maybe only a handful of people here would know uh, the details about, but uh, it's... It's a story of when I first came here about 19 years ago. So 19 years ago, I, I came here as the young adults pastor, and I moved here to this church with our young family at that time, moved to Saskatoon, uh, and engaged uh, in the work here. And the first two years of my experience here was a time of incredible discouragement, disillusionment, identity crisis, and even depression. And I just found it really, really challenging. And in so many ways, I felt like this was a place of exile for me. So that's my confession to you. Um, and thankfully, it doesn't feel that way anymore. But I'd grown up in Saskatchewan. I'd grown up in this, in this part of the world, and I had left for about 15 years. And now I was returning to this place that I sort of knew, but not really knew. And it was totally different than what I had left. I didn't really have the same friends here anymore. I had Really, I had changed so much, and now I came back to a place that should have been familiar to me, but it just felt so foreign. And also, the previous 14 years, I had been working and learning and growing and being educated in the area of athletics and coaching, and so I was really involved in sports and in outdoor recreation and outdoor adventure activities and, and programs, and now I was supposed to be a pastor. And it was a, a culture now of a church world and a pastor world that was so foreign to me, and it had a language all its own, and a culture all its own, and assumptions and expectations that I didn't understand and I didn't get, and it was incredibly uh, challenging for me. And so that was a bit of a story for me. Uh, today we're talking about this idea of exile, and I want you to understand that exile has many different faces, many different expressions, many different emotions uh, that each one of us can face. Now, as we use this word in this series, exile, we also want to be sensitive and understand and acknowledge that for a lot of people around the world, the word exile has something very specific in, in terms of its meaning, and there's a lot of intensity to it, and, uh, and it's a very, it causes very extreme difficulty for a lot of people. I get that. Uh, exile technically means to be barred from your homeland. It means to be barred and sent away from your home uh, country, your native country, uh, for religious reasons or political reasons or whatever the case may be. And many people around the world experience exile in really profoundly difficult uh, ways. But we also want to use the word and mainly use the word exile to mean simply to be in a foreign place, uh, to be away from home. Think of it that way. To be in a place that's unfamiliar, where you are now entering into a place that has a language that's different, that has culture that's different, that has, again, assumptions, expectations that you don't really understand, and you're, 
just sort of in this season of disorientation. Okay, so that's sort of how we're framing this idea uh, of exile. And my contention would be that every single person here today has experienced exile or some of those feelings of that at some point in your life. Some of you are experiencing that right now. You feel like you're in the midst of that in one form or another. If you think of newcomers to Canada, some of you are newcomers to Canada who have only been here for a short period of time. You know intimately what this feels like. And we have, I've talked to many people who are newcomers to Canada and I, I, I enjoy asking them, what's been your experience coming to this country? And it's fascinating to hear their stories. We have people who are part of our church that are even here today. We have people who are in our city around, who are outside of our church, who you can talk to. We have the LINK program, uh, learning instruction for newcomers to Canada that happens here in this building every week where hundreds of people from different cultures, languages, ethnic groups, religions are in this building all the time. And so as staff and for those of you who are around here during the week, we have all kinds of opportunities to interact and to meet people from all over the world. And, and it's fascinating to hear uh, some of their stories. I was talking to a young woman from Nigeria just the other day, and she uh, has been in Canada for about three weeks now. Think about the last three weeks. I apologize profusely. I said, I'm sorry, but it does get warmer here. We actually do have summer. So exile feels different for each one of us. I think of seniors in our church, some people who've been in part of our church culture and context here for many, many decades, where even the church culture can feel foreign again. Where it's like, where, where did the church go that we grew up with and that we, we knew? It's unfamiliar songs, unfamiliar programs, unfamiliar approaches to church and so on. And it can be disorienting and it can be discouraging. I get that. It's part of this inner experience because exile is so much more about the inner experience that we face than it is about even the external realities of what exile is. It's those internal feelings and emotions that, that stir within us that challenge us on so many fronts. So as you think about exile, for those of you who are around uh, in the last couple of months, you know that we came through a series on Nehemiah. And, and Nehemiah was a series of, that, that looked at the, the people of Israel and their return from Babylon to the city of Jerusalem where the temple had been rebuilt that was recorded in the book of Ezra. And then in Nehemiah, the rebuilding of the wall. And through that series, you could have come to the assumption at the end of it that, well, it's tied up in a nice bow, everything's taken care of, the people have returned, they've rebuilt the the temple, they've rebuilt the wall, Uh, Nehemiah helped them to reestablish their religious uh, understanding and their spiritual practices of who God was and who they were as the people of God, And, and it's all good, nice finished story. Now, if you were here in the last message of that series, you will remember that I tried to convince us and and to say, you know, it actually didn't end really well. And in many ways, the book of Nehemiah just points ahead to the need for a Messiah of Jesus, of the transformation that is still needed within us, and it points us to the New Testament in that way. But what we want to do in this series of Opportunity in Exile is we want to actually back up and go back to the beginning of that story of even what we looked at in Nehemiah and go to the very beginning of exile and in many ways, kind of leave us there. And partly because I believe that 
as a people of God, if we are a follower of Jesus Christ, we in many ways live in exile still to this day, or at least in some form of that. And so we want us to kind of leave ourselves in that place of with questions and tensions and things that we don't fully understand, uh, but to wrestle through some questions of what does it mean to be the people of exile. If you uh, have your Bibles, turn to Daniel uh, chapter 1, and we'll just look at the first verses here for a minute. Uh, Daniel is in about three quarters of the way through the book. If you've got an app, you can find it uh, quicker and better. It's right at the end, close to the end of the Old Testament, right after the book of a big book called Ezekiel. And it says here, in really summary form in these first verses, about just how these people were taken into exile. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, remember these are the people of, of, of Israel, okay, the, the southern kingdom of Judah, which was based in Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Remember that phrase, the Lord delivered him. Along with some of the articles from the temple of God. And these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. And so there we just see really briefly the setting that is the book of Daniel where these people had been taken away and now they were brought into exile. So our country, Canada, our country has changed in so many ways that I would guess we don't always realize. Some of us realize it. Sometimes we feel it in different ways. But we no longer live in a country where the Christian faith or where Christian morals or even the authority of Scripture or even leaders in the church are actually respected or valued. We used to live in a country like that. We no longer do. And most of you know that. Some of us feel it more pronounced than others, but the reality is, is that is not the country that we live in today. And there's been a massive shift in our country. And oftentimes we don't realize it until we actually turn around and look back, and we look back over the course of history, and we go, oh yeah, 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 we have really, really changed. And one of the books uh, written on this by an author, Lee Beach, uh, called The Church in Exile, and it's written from the Canadian context, gives this description And I want to read you this description of two different events that happened in our country on Parliament Hill, so in our nation's capital, two very significant public events that happened about 34 years apart. The first one is in 1967, and it's the Centennial Celebration. Listen to this account of what happened at that event. July 1st, 1967. It was a beautiful summer day in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. As a crowd of 25,000 people gathered in the nation's capital for the country's centennial birthday celebration. As Canada turned 100 years old, the festivities began with a prayer service, which was carried on national television and was a centerpiece of the day's events. The crowd waited excitedly as various dignitaries arrived for the service, including all of the main political leaders of the day, the Prime Minister, members of the Cabinet, members of the Senate, When the guest of honor, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, arrived, accompanied by her husband, the Duke of Edinburgh, they were greeted by eight members of the clergy, who escorted them to their respective places on the platform. The service consisted of readings from the Bible, including a reading by then Prime Minister Lester B. Pearson himself, who read from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 14. Hymns from the Christian tradition were sung, and prayers, including a prayer of confession for the sins of the nation and a recitation of the Lord's Prayer, were offered. 
A litany was recited, and those gathered were invited to respond to these words. We rededicate ourselves, O Lord. The service was a clear nod to the role that the Christian church had played in the first hundred years of the nation's development. The message was that Canada was a religious country, a country whose religion was decidedly Christian. Isn't that interesting? 1967. Anybody here in the room at that event? I'm just curious. Was anybody at that event in Ottawa? I thought there might be somebody. But as you look back at our country from the vantage point of today, and you hear that account, you go, wow, that's not our country today. We're really different from that. You know, here was a, a day where not only was one that not only allowed, but actually expected a public display of Christian faith even calling for those that were gathered there to give a public response of confession, repentance, and rededication to the Lord. I mean, can you imagine that today? I mean, you can see the massive shift in this cultural reality uh, in Canada, even if you look at a second event that happened just 34 years later from this 1967 event. And it was 2001, and it was three days after the uh, terror attacks in the World Trade Center. And it was a memorial service in the same location on Capitol Hill, uh, right in front of the Parliament buildings. And here is the description of that event. On December 14th, 2001, a gathering took place in front of the Parliament buildings three days after the attacks in the World Trade Center in New York City and the Pentagon in Washington on September 11th. A crowd estimated at close to 100,000 people gathered on Parliament Hill for a day of mourning to commemorate the lives that had been lost in the attacks. While the reason for the gathering could not have been more different and the tone more distinct than the one in 1967, the proceedings were telling in terms of demonstrating the sea change that had taken place in Canadian cultural life. While representatives from several religions were seated on the platform that day, no Christian clergy or leader of any religion was invited to participate in any way. The memorial service, which lasted half an hour, was a quiet one that included brief remarks by Prime Minister Jean Chrétien, American Ambassador Paul Salucci, and Governor-General of Canada Adrian Clarkson. No scripture was read, no prayers were offered, no hymns were sung. The only remark that could be considered the least bit religious was the Prime Minister's words that, in a time like this, we cling to our humanity and to our common goodness, and above all, to our prayers. The contrast between 1967 gathering and the 2001 gathering could not be clearer. Each ceremony represented the Canada of its era, and the two together demonstrate how Canada had dramatically changed as a nation, and in fact, how drastic those changes had been in a single generation. That gives a picture of the significant contrast of our country in just 34 years. And that was 2001. That's 18 years ago already. We've already moved even way further beyond that day to an era of post-Christendom where the Christian values and the Christian faith are not valued by the dominant culture, are not accepted or even uh, embraced. Uh, Religious leaders are not seen as having any kind kind of place to speak into the issues of our cultural day. And so to say that the Christian faith has moved from the center of the culture to a more peripheral role is a considerable understatement. Now, leaders in the global south, Christian leaders in the global south, 
would say that, that they are actually, evangelical leaders are actually gaining more prominence in the global south uh, today, which is kind of an interesting trend. But in the global north, including here in Canada, we are in a time of increasing marginalization and decreasing power or public influence. Where Christian values are met with either indifference, mocking, or even hostility. So what do we do? Many wring their hands and they try to kind of cling to things and to claw back expressions of Christendom where we once had the dominant role. Like we fight for things like having the Lord's Prayer back in our schools and we fight for having Jesus in the Christmas pageants at our public schools. But what are we to do? Lee Beach is an author. He suggests this. He says, Perhaps exile is the way that the people of God should understand themselves at all times in their history. And I would contend that it's maybe a helpful motif or a helpful perspective for us to have to understand that the people of God always had kind of this lived experience of exile in one form or another. I mean, just think of Adam and Eve and even in the garden right away that they were sent out from the garden. They were banished from the garden because of sin. And so now they too lived in a form of exile. And then the people of Israel, as they were rescued out of Egypt, they were wandering in the wilderness and they had no homeland and they were on their way to the promised land, but they were a homeless people. And then you see the people who actually did land in Jerusalem and had this temple and the king and all of the things that we see prior to the exile are actually taken captive, taken out of Jerusalem and sent off to the foreign country of Babylon and Assyria. Or you go to the New Testament and you see Jesus' teachings and his discipleship of those who were his followers and he's trying to help them understand, as is Paul actually, How do you live as a faith-filled person under Roman rule and occupation? Because that was the dominant culture at that time. And so I think it's fair to say that for each era of the Christian story, there has been some expression of exile that we have lived in. And the same would be true for us today. So in many ways, we, we actually shouldn't be surprised by it. And maybe, in fact, we need to recover and even embrace this identity or this paradigm of exile. So that's, that's the bad news. But there is good news in all this. Because there are opportunities in exile that are remarkable. There are opportunities because God is still sovereign. God is still on the throne. There are opportunities because Jesus is with us and He's given us His Holy Spirit to live in us and among us. And our hope is not on the institutions of the world. Our hope is not on the political party that is in power. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And God is sovereign. And so there is incredible hope. There is incredible opportunity. And so just like Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, where God sent him out to establish the people of God and to bring the blessing of God to the nations of the earth, we too are called to be those people who bring the blessing of God to the nations of the earth, even in exile. And we'll see that in the stories that we'll look at. We've been given the great commission and the great commandment that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and we are to love our neighbor as ourself. And that we are also to go and to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey the ways of God and to understand the ways of God. And those statements that Jesus gave of the Great Commission and Great Commandment were not in a context, well, well, everything's going good and actually people like you Christians. It was a context of exile. 
It was a context of really challenging, difficult things. But now in that context and in our context, we are called to go and be the people of God. The Apostle Peter, he, he recognized this unique aspect of exile when he said this to the local church that he was writing to. He said, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. He says in verses 11 and 12. And so I think we need a different approach to our life of faith. We need to think differently. We need to operate differently, both individually and also corporately. And think for a minute, I'll give you one example of, of even what's one, one area that's changed for me. So even how I preach in the last 10 years has changed. Most of you probably wouldn't notice the difference, but I notice the difference because it's just different now. So even for those of you who actually would come into a church building and a sanctuary to a worship service, which most of the population of Saskatoon would not do, the vast majority. But even for those of you who actually do come into a setting like this, it, you have to change and adapt in terms of how you teach in this setting, or at least I feel that I do. So a couple of things. I, I try to place things in context more. Not just today, but often I'll tell you, okay, here's where the book of the Bible is. If you have a physical Bible, here's where you find it. And, and here's kind of where it's positioned in Scripture. And, and I give narrative uh, overviews of where the Bible is much more than I used to do. I don't come with the assumption that people know. In fact, I come with the assumption that you don't know. And that you don't understand some of those things. Because over uh, and over again, it is often true. That's why... We do a preaching series that does an overview of the Bible every couple of years. We've done it twice already. Have you noticed that? It's called the, the Bible Story. And we'll probably do it again in about a year from now. But every couple of years, we do uh, another sermon series again of just teaching from Genesis to Revelation, of just understanding the story. That's why we have an adult elective right now that is actually doing the very same thing. To actually help us understand this overall story. So I don't assume that you know where the book of Daniel is, let alone what the context is, other than you might have heard a story about Daniel in the lion's den or something like that. And so I come with no assumptions. Um, I, I repeat myself a lot. My, my wife laughed out loud at that moment in the first service when I said that, um, which I thought was really inappropriate. But I repeat myself a lot because... And, and often it's intentional. Sometimes it's just my older brain and I forget what I've said. But it's intentional because I don't assume that you were here last week. Because stats show, Evangelical Fellowship of Canada tracks this, that people who consider themselves a regular attender of a church, whereas 15 years ago they would be attending three out of four Sundays or 75% of the time, today the stat is between 30 and 40%. So in other words... The regular, somebody who says, no, 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 I'm a regular attender, they are actually only here one, maybe two out of every four Sundays. Now, you might be the exception to that. Bless you. Thank you. May your tribe increase. Um, but for many people, the people sitting beside you, that is their reality. I mean, just think about your last month. How often have you been here? So I repeat myself because I don't assume that you know what we talked about last week. I don't assume that you know that we're even in a series. So I go back and I share the story. So it's just one small example of just, for me, something that changes for me that I didn't do 10 years ago that I do now because we're in a different culture. You step outside of these doors and into the world that you all and we all exist in and you know, you feel it, 
that it is just a very different world. Our culture is going through massive shifts. And so we have to change and adapt. The church has to change and adapt. And we usually lag so far behind. But even as a church, if we don't change and adapt, churches all over the place are clinging to the things of Christendom that they've always done, and those churches are dying and closing by the hundreds. By the hundreds. So Daniel and Esther and Jonah and Peter, they, they give us windows of how to understand of being the people in exile. So the next number of weeks, we're going to dive a little bit more into Daniel. I'll just touch on a few things here today, but we'll also look at um, stories like Esther, and Esther's an interesting book. God, the, the name God is not mentioned once in the entire book of Esther, which is really fascinating. Daniel, very opposite, God is everywhere. Very theocentric kind of book where God is is named and pointed to, and you see this truth that God is with us. He is sovereign. He is in control. One of the messages that we need to see that God is present. He is with us all the time. And we see that very much so in Daniel. And so we'll look at these main characters of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let me just read in Daniel 1, verses 4 and 5. It talks a little bit about these young men. It says, These are young men without any physical defect. They are handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning. Well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them, this is the person training these young men, the language and the literature of the Babylonians. And the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. So, and as you keep reading, you know the story. Some of you know the story well where Daniel actually didn't take the food of the Babylonians or the wine of the Babylonians, and he actually had just water and vegetables. And for Daniel, it was a way of ensuring that whatever good came out of his life, whatever people could attribute to him as wisdom and good leadership, that people would see that that was only of the hand of God and not because of the Babylonian rule or the Babylonian food or the Babylonian whatever. And so it's not so much about the particulars of how he what he did and did not eat. And people have made millions of dollars over Daniel fasts uh, over the years, which is fine. But, but it's the fact that he took a stand and he said, no, 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 this is what I am going to declare that is God and God alone. And people will see that. And that happened. If you read in verse 17, it says, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And then in Verse 20, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. So in Daniel, we'll see this theme that God is with us, God is sovereign, God is still in charge. He hasn't forgotten you, even in exile. And Daniel was somebody who had incredible faith in God and trusted God in all circumstances. And you know, sometimes we, we kind of romanticize the story of Daniel, but if you kind of think about what he and his people were going through and how incredibly hard it would have been and how much pain and loss they would have been experiencing, I, I don't think we can understand what it is, the, the true context of this story. But, but Daniel represents this continuity of Abraham's promise. That you were to bring the blessing of God to the nations of the earth. And Daniel does that even in this country of Babylon. These persecutors. He brings the blessing of God. And we see that stated even right here in chapter 1. 
It's here in this story. Author and commentator by the name of Tremper Longman, he says this about Daniel. Daniel teaches us that the struggle is not to make the culture Christian, but how a Christian can live in a hostile culture. And that is, I guess, what we want us to understand and reflect on and engage in through this series. It is not about how do we, how do we claw back and make our country Christian again, but rather how do we actually live as a believer in a very hostile culture in a context where we are more in exile than we might realize because we too no longer live in the shadow of the temple just like those people we too live in a country that is filled with idols just as pervasive as they were back in that day they're just more subtle today but they're just as damaging and just as distracting and just as able to keep us from focusing on the one true king and so the challenge for us is to see these multiple strategies that Daniel and Esther and others utilize. And they live their lives a lot of times in pretty messy circumstances and a lot of what we might call the gray areas. And I, I can only begin to imagine, where are the areas that Daniel compromised? We read the one area where he didn't and the number of areas, but he was so immersed in this culture in so many ways. And yet the challenge is to preserve our particular identities and our beliefs and our practices that matter to us and that also sustain us in God. And also that enable us to engage in God's mission in the world. Because that's what we're called to. Is to engage in God's mission in the world just as Daniel was, just as Esther was. And so the call and the challenge of exile is not to go back to the way it was. It's not to claw back to the way things were than when it was really good. The challenge is to simply ask, how can we actually live God's mission in the world in a really creative way? And I think exile gives opportunity and possibilities for all kinds of creativity. And to see the hand of God and the power of His Spirit at work in opportunities that are around everywhere if we just look. Michael Frost states that the work of exile is to rediscover the teachings of Jesus and the practices of the early church and to apply them to life on the soil of a post-Christian empire. Exile is a time of self-evaluation and reorientation. Of saying, okay, we're not in Kansas anymore. This is a different world. How do we now live our faith in a sense that can actually have traction and bring the blessing of God to these people. We need to understand our context better. We, especially for those of us who've grown up in Canada, we think we know this country. If you've lived in Saskatoon for many years, you think you know your city. I guess I would challenge you, you probably don't know this city or this country as much as you think you do. We need to become missionaries again. It's one of the things that I have felt so strongly a conviction of in the last number of years is that we have separated this false dichotomy of church work and missionary work. Oh yeah, missionaries are the ones who go out there and church work is what we do here. They are one and the same thing. They just happen in different contexts. But church work and missionary work are the same thing. It's about the kingdom of God and bringing the blessing of God to the nations of the earth. Even the nations that are right here in our city that are coming to us in droves. In a context that is changing all the time, in a culture that we need to exegete and understand and learn about and pray through and take different approaches to become missionaries again. And also that we would be people who would be absolutely infused with the love of Jesus 
So much so that as the Spirit of God is changing and transforming us, that the fruit of the Spirit is so evident in our lives that it is just pervasive salt and light in this world. I think that is the most dominant way and incredible way that God calls us to live as people in exile. If you think of what Paul said to the church in Galatians chapter 5 where he talked about this fruit of the Spirit because he says, you know what? These things matter because it doesn't matter what government's in power. doesn't matter what laws are in place. doesn't matter how much you're being oppressed. There's no law against these things. But the fruit of the Holy Spirit produce, that the Holy Spirit produces is love, joy, and peace. It is being patient, kind, and good. It is being faithful and gentle and having control of oneself. There is no law against things of that kind. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their sinful desires to His cross. They don't want these things anymore. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Throughout this series, I pray that God will unsettle us, that God will challenge us, but also that God will comfort us. And I want to leave you, and I want to invite the worship team if they would come forward at this time. And I would ask you if you would also just stand, and I want to just make a few closing comments, and then I I want to have us pray together. A friend of mine shared these last three phrases that I want to just leave you with as we begin this series and as I end this message. And maybe you are feeling like you are in a place of exile right now, that there is stuff going on within your soul and your spirit that you feel disoriented, discouraged, lost, not at home, in a foreign place that you can't really figure out. But be encouraged by these three things. First of all, where you are is not a mistake. Because God is sovereign. God is on the throne. He knows. He understands. And we'll see that throughout the story of Daniel. So know that where you are is not a mistake. Secondly, Know that where you are, and by that I mean what's going on inside of you in these days and right now, where you are is also where Jesus is going to transform you and use you. That is the very place that Jesus is going to use you and transform you, is where you are right now. And thirdly, that you would realize that where you are right now is not permanent. We go through seasons in our life and God brings us forward and carries us through things, and where you are right now does not define the entirety of your life. It is not permanent. And so while you are in this place, may God use you to be a blessing to the nations of the earth. And that God would do His transforming in work in you so that you can also be such an incredible witness for others, even in the midst of pain. I talk to people all the time who are going through their own stuff, their own hurt, their own pain, but they're still serving, they're still loving, they're still engaging with others, they're still blessing because even in that place, God uses us. And may God bless us to be that kind of people in whatever exile we might be experiencing. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your goodness to us. I thank You for Your faithfulness to us. I thank You that You have not abandoned us but that you are present, that you are with us, and that you are sovereign. Even when we see things going on in our country and in our world that we don't understand, that don't make sense, and we just wish it would go back to the way it was however many years ago. But God, you continually call us forward. So help us to be people of courageous humility who learn to walk in faith and in the, in the walk of your Holy Spirit, in the timing and the reality of your Spirit, Lord, with the power of your Spirit to be people who can make a difference in this world because you're within us. 
Your spirit is changing us. And God, you've called us to be the salt and light in this world. So Lord, I just pray that you would help us to be effective witnesses in whatever exile we might be experiencing. In Jesus' name, amen.